25. And um, I'm going to try to cover a good amount of ground this morning. Hopefully I won't come out as a fire hydrant and, and me try to cover too much ground. But we're going to look at three different scenes this morning about from, from David's life in 1 Samuel. And we're going to see how God helped him to navigate the wilderness valleys. I've titled this message, Navigating the Wilderness Valleys. In life, we have our mountaintops where life just seems great, and we're amazed, and we're in awe, and we're rejoicing, and we can see far out, and we, can, we have this perspective that's just so delightful, and it inspires worship in us and stirs our hearts. And then in life, we have these valleys, these low moments that we experience where you can't see the sun as well. And it gets really dark and really difficult and sometimes feels lonely. And one of the things that David said about his journey with the Lord, his relationship with the Lord, he describes God as his shepherd. Perhaps the most well-known psalm in all the, the book of Psalms is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And so what we have seen as we've studied the book of 1 Samuel is we've seen David walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We see, and we see the presence of God accompanying him through those valleys, through the valley of the shadow of death. We see the Lord preserving his life, sustaining his life, giving him strength, lifting him up when he fails, when he sins, when he makes mistakes. In these difficult times, we see God forming and shaping him, making him to be the man who God's called him to be. Because he's going to step into a, a key place of leadership here pretty soon as we look to 2 Samuel. And so God is working through all of this. None of these experiences, these painful, dark, undesirable experiences that King David went through were wasted. God was teaching him, shaping him, walking with him through those difficult times. And we can learn so much for our own lives. There are so many takeaways for our own lives as we are walking through those valleys, as we are walking through those difficult times, not knowing what to do and when to do it and needing God's wisdom, needing God's guidance, needing God's protection and his deliverance, needing God to show up in ways that only he can. And so last week we looked at David as he was uh, hiding in a cave and, and King Saul, providentially God brought King Saul to use the restroom in this cave where David and his men were. And David had the opportunity to get revenge on King Saul who was seeking his life. And he was restrained and, and he chose mercy in that moment instead of taking matters into his own hands and becoming a leader like Saul was, King David was restrained. And, just, and even just cutting the corner of Saul's robe off, it, it, it struck his heart. He was convicted that he shouldn't have done that. And, and he had the strong conviction that he should not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. And David pushed back on the pressure that he felt from his men to take action and take matters into his own hands. And he didn't attack and it was this beautiful moment. We see this beautiful portrait of grace and mercy. We see the aroma of Christ coming through David's life in this moment. And Saul's just melted with emotion by his, and he's convicted himself that he's done David so wrong when David had did right to him. David showed us what it's like to overcome evil with good. But just right on the heels of chapter 24 where David responded so well in that moment, 
we have chapter 25 where David is faced with another opportunity to get revenge on somebody who had done him wrong. And this time, initially, we don't see David acting so gracefully. We see him ready to take someone's life. And God providentially sustained him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there as we look at 1 Samuel 25. And so I'm going to read from here. We're going to look at this scene and camp out here for a bit. And then we're going to go to chapter 27. And then we're going to go to chapter 30. And we're going to look at how David navigated the valleys of anger. Valleys in the wilderness that were, that were marked by anger, fear, and despair. And this first one here, you can see the anger, the, 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 the temptation to get revenge on this man who had done him wrong. And so let us begin. Father, as we, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would teach us how to navigate through the valleys in this life. That you would encourage us, that you would give us grace, that you would give us strength to carry on, to not lose heart, but to continue to trust you and do the next right thing. Would you renew us with your perspective? Empower us with your spirit. Would you bring clarity through the truth of your word where things seem cloudy and difficult to see? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Samuel 1, uh, 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. And then David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now it doesn't say a whole lot here, by the way, about David's response, but... I can imagine David's heart being affected by the death of Samuel, one of the most godly men in the land at the time. We're not told a whole lot about the response, his or Saul's, but we see that there was mourning nationally, that there was a great mourning over the prophet, priest, judge that God had raised up in Israel. Verse 2, and there was a man in Monon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace to you and peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword and every man and every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword about 400 men and went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. 
Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. He is such a worthless man that no one, that one cannot speak to him. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and 200 skins of wine and five sheep already prepared, five, five sheaves and of parched grain and a and hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cake, cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And he said to, and she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and met, and met them. Now David said, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as a one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and Foley is with him. Folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men, my Lord, whom you sent. And now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord is, will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek my life and the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the Lord, in the, in the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And then the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel. My Lord shall have no, no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has the Lord has dealt with well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and, and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left, had, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, and he said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for your patience and following along with me there in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Here's our big idea. The Lord providentially led David through dark valleys that were accompanied by his own anger, his fear, and despair, and even through David's weakness and sins, God was with him and brought about his good plans for him. 
So here's, here's our first point this morning. David was helped to navigate successfully through anger. We see a contrast compared to chapter 24. In chapter 24, David seemed to be, be very patient with the Lord's anointed, even though he had sought to kill his life, take his life over and over, and David was being treated unjustly. He was being hunted as an animal and he had to run for his life and he had to hide and he had to live as an outcast in the wilderness. And there was an army that gathered with him. David responded gracefully in chapter 24, but here we see David rising up to take revenge and it seems like a bit of overkill here. 400 men, all right, 400 men versus Nabal and his household, however big that was, David seemed ready to wipe this guy out. And he admits it wouldn't have been right. It would have been wrong. And he admits that it was God's providence that restrained him, providential restraint that protected him. And he admits that Abigail was strategic, was a gracious instrument in the hand of God to keep him from acting foolishly. So here in this chapter, we see the humanity of David. And I love that about the Bible, by the way. And in, 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 in the heroes of the Bible, we see not only the victories and, and the, the, the beautiful examples that we're called to imitate, but we, we also see the bloopers, the failures. And by the way, that just points to the authenticity of this book. God, God doesn't hold back the, uh, uh, those, those, those stories that aren't as honorable. And it's a reminder to us that ultimately Jesus is the greatest hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero. He's the greater David. He's the king of kings. He's the one who never sinned when he was presented with temptation. But we see the humanity of David here. And we see God helping him to navigate successfully through his anger, through the temptation to get revenge on this man who had done him wrong. Perhaps we could see this as revenge on an unjust employer who didn't pay, pay, pay their employees. David had been good to Nabal and watching over his sheep with his men, protecting the flocks. And remember, David was a shepherd. Right, and so he knew. Okay, they're they're getting sheared. It's it's pay time. You know, it seemed reasonable for him to ask for a little a little food to celebrate with. You know, they've been faithful to to, to do this job for Nabal, and 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 Nabal claims that he doesn't know even who David is. Who is this guy? Now Israel knew who David was. They were singing his praises when he took out Goliath, and Saul was jealous of those praises. Israel knew who this guy was, but apparently Nabal claims that he doesn't know who he, who he is, and he disrespected his servants and sent them away. His wife describes him as a fool. His wife describes him as a fool. And by the way, those who are fall in that category of fools, they, they tend to bring out the worst in those around them. They tend to bring out the worst in those around them, such as anger. They tend to bring us down to their level, and we must resist from stooping down to their level and acting foolishly along with those that the Scripture categorizes as a fool. So notice in, in verse 31, it says, My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord working salvation himself. All right, so we see David rising up, perhaps in anger or, or in temptation to get revenge. And God strategically uses Abigail to help him not make a foolish decision in getting revenge. And then David says, here he blessed, he blessed Abigail in response and he said, blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation in my own hand. For as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you. David's recognizing this providential restraint. God working and working through a person. A godly woman, a godly wife. Now, it, it, it begs the question like, what is a woman like her married to a man like that? Like, what happened there? I don't know. Nabul, right? But nevertheless, she, she proves to be this godly 
woman who's, who's, who's contrasted to this harsh, foolish man, irrational man. Nabul's name, the Hebrew name Nabul, by the way, it means fool. The Hebrew name means fool, okay? Now, that's, that's not an ideal name to pick for your child. If you have a baby boy, don't name him fool. Now, maybe it's a nickname, all right? Uh, we don't know for sure, but nevertheless, this is what he's referred to as fool. Now, I know back in the day when I was a teenager, we used to call each other fool all the time. That, that was just a practice, fool, hey, fool. Um, and, and, and so this guy was literally a fool. His actions proved to be foolish. His name, he was living up to his name. His wife acknowledges that. He proved himself to be unapproachable, unreasonable, unwise, ungrateful, unappreciative, and ungenerous. And David is ticked off by this foolish action. Instead of, instead of grace being pulled out of him and, and good, goodness pulled out of him, he, the, the worst is kind of drew out of him. But God used Abigail to draw out the beauty from David, to respond in a way that would be honoring to the Lord, not according to the flesh, not working salvation from his own hand. David had learned this lesson already. Why would he resort to trying to make things happen in his own strength, with his own hand? And so the Bible has a lot to say about fools. I'm going to give a brief overview, and particularly in the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, okay? And Proverbs does a lot of warning about fools. Like, watch out for them. Don't go the way. Don't be like them. Don't, don't stoop down to their level because they will bring you down. A companion of fools will be destroyed. That's what the Proverbs say, all right? So young people... Choose your friend wisely. Choose your friends wisely. And all of us, we should choose our friends wisely. Here, here's a couple of descriptions. And I, and I pulled this from a topical Bible. Um, I have a topical Bible that John MacArthur put together, and he does a good job of categorizing these here. And this, this is just some of them. All of humanity, by the way, has a tendency uh, towards foolishness. Proverbs says that there's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. By nature, we tend to make foolish decisions, but the rod of correction will drive it out of them. Okay, that's, a, that's an important proverb for disciplining and teaching and instructing your children lovingly and wisely. Fools deny God. Fools mock at sin. Fools hate knowledge and instruction. Fools feed on foolishness. Fools make doing evil a sport. Fools are self-sufficient. Fools are self-confident. Fools are self-deceivers. Fools spread slander. Fools are quarrelsome and contentious. Fools are proud. Fools harbor anger. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Fools grieve their parents. Fools destroy themselves with words. Fools trust their own hearts. Fools depend on their own wealth. Fools are to be avoided. Fools may hear God's words, but don't obey them. And Jesus indicted the Pharisees themselves as fools, blind guides. Okay? And so I know these are harsh words, but we, we, need, to, we need to know what the Bible says about foolishness and avoid it for the sake of our own joy and our own well-being and for those around us. Um. Jesus said this, by the way, we'll flip over to Jesus in the New Testament and how we're to respond in situations like this. He said, you've heard it said of those of old that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable of hellfire. And so Jesus dealt with the heart of anger and murder and devaluing the tendency that humanity has to devalue others who have been made in the image of God. Every human being bears the mark of the creator. Therefore, we must treat one another with value, with dignity and respect. Those, those in the womb and those outside of the womb. We must treat human life with dignity. 
And so here's a, here's a clinical perspective on anger that might be helpful because I know some of us have a tendency towards anger. When was the last time you, got, you lost your cool, when you got frustrated, when you got angry, when you got irritated, when you were PO'd or whatever you want to call it, all right? When was the last time that happened? Here, here's, here's a clinical perspective on anger. There's a psychological reward. There is no psychological reward for anger. Anger is debilitating. In the psychological realm, it can produce hypertension, ulcers, rashes, heart palpitations, insomnia, fatigue, and even heart disease. In the psychological sense, anger breaks down love relationships and interferes with communication. It leads to guilt and depression and generally just and generally just gets in your way. This is Wayne Dyer in his book, Erroneous Zones. He also says, it is a learned reaction to frustration in which you behave in ways that you would rather not. In fact, severe anger is a form of insanity. You are insane whenever you are not in control of your behavior. Therefore, when you are angry and out, you are, and out of control, you are temporarily in Sane. These are our low moments that we don't want put up on a screen, that we don't want anybody else to hear about. And I'm thankful that we get a snapshot of David's low moments here, one of his low moments here, and his response. And so the Bible teaches us that we're to be angry and not sin. We're, we're to manage it in a godly way. We're not to allow anger to consume us and lead us to make destructive decisions, to say things and do things that we would later on regret, that would dishonor God and dishonor those who have been made in the image of God. And in contrast, we see beautiful Abigail. My third, our thirdborn child, we named Abigail because of her exemplary model, example here. She was beautiful and discerning. She had external beauty and she had internal beauty. Dale Ralph Davis describes her as decisive and resourceful in action, perceptive in circumstances. She was courageous in danger engaging in demeanor, theological, rational, persuasive. She was shrewd in suggestion. Verse, verse 3 of 25 says that the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. Speaking of Nabal. And so her name literally means, Abigail means source of joy or my father rejoices. She was a blessing to those around her, including her husband, who seemed to be very foolish. Dale Ralph Davis says that clearly Abigail is the Lord's stop sign, mercifully placed in David's path. Don't do it. How many of you men have a wife like that who has stopped you from saying or doing something that was very foolish and you're so grateful that you listened to the Holy Spirit through them to keep you from doing and saying something that you shouldn't have said or done. I'm grateful for the Abigails who help bring out the beauty, who, who, who call us to reflect the beauty of God, the, the steadfast love of God, the patience of of God. God used her. She's a wonderful example. Now we also see God's divine vengeance in this circumstance. God was fighting David's battles. Okay? And, and David acknowledges that. And well, the, the, the writer of 1 Samuel acknowledges about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. He had a stroke and he was killed. Abigail told him the next day what happened, that he was about to be taken out by David and 400 men because of his, his poor choices. And, you know, he had a drinking party, and he woke up and was probably had a hangover. And, 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 and just, you know, it, it, for what, you know, for whatever reason, she didn't tell him, probably because, probably because he was unapproachable and, and would, would blow up. 
She, she, she uh, wisely protected him from getting killed and everyone else with them and, and fed David a, a great meal. I mean, how do you, how do you get mad at, at, a, at a lady who brings you a crock pot full of yummy food and cakes and good food? And, and they, they were hangry, right? They were ready to take some action. But nevertheless, we see God taking vengeance on this foolish man who was all about his wealth, who was all about self. He's, it reminds me of the man that Jesus speaks about in Luke chapter 12. The, who uh, Jesus describes as a fool who was building bigger barns. Let's tear down the barns and build bigger barns. And then he died. And so David acknowledges God's vengeance and restraining providence here. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and kept back his servant from wrongdoing. You see, David's really glad here. Now, seeing this side of the story, David is really glad that he didn't act foolishly, that he didn't get down on Nabal's level and do what he was doing and return insult for insult. Or, or even worse, David was, was going to return bloodshed for insult and disrespect. And it says, the Lord returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. God calls us to overcome evil with good. Be patient. Dale Ralph Davis says that that the text teaches us how Yahweh rescues his servants from their own stupidity and he restrains them from executing their sinful purposes. How sometimes he graciously and firmly intercepts us on the road to folly. Amen. Thank you, God. Now here's the next scene that we're going to look at in chapter 27. David seems to have a fearful and pessimistic perspective that led him astray. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel 27.1. It says, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me and longer, any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, and he and 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Monach, the king of Gath. So here David reasons within his heart. He makes a decision Based on, I think, fear, the text doesn't tell us explicitly, but he has a perspective. And in his heart, he thinks that that Saul is going to actually kill him. And he was trying to. And he had good reason to believe that, that his life was going to be taken out by Saul and his thousands of soldiers when he only had 600 soldiers, right? But there was also really good reason to believe that Saul wasn't going to kill him, that Saul's plans weren't going to succeed. Jonathan had told him that you are going to be the king. Samuel had told him you are going to be the king. Abigail had affirmed you are going to be the king. David knew from God that he was Israel's next king. And now it's easy for us on this side of the story to say, man, just, just, just wait, David, you're going to be the king. Just 2 Samuel. It's going to happen. He didn't have that, that luxury that we have. And oftentimes we find ourselves in our lives, in our story, questioning God's promises. God, where are you? Are you just going to leave me and abandon me here? And if we stop in the middle of David's story or Job's story or your story, we may not conclude that God has been good. But our story is not over. God's not done with us and God was not done with David. God was working out his good plans through David. Nevertheless, we see David's what I call a fearful perspective. He said, I shall perish One day by the hand of Saul, there's nothing better that I should do than escape to the land of the Philistines. And he he chooses to go to take refuge in amongst Israel's arch enemies. 
to partner up with them, to work for the Philistine king and do raids and be a hitman for the king using his military skills to take out Israel's enemies. Not, not the Philistines. David had to be a little sly and deceitful about what he was doing. So when Achish asked him, hey, where have you been? What's been going on? He would say, I've been here doing this and that, take, taking out these folks. And, and David wasn't being truthful. And so we see some compromise, some poor decisions that he made. Chuck Swindoll calls this a, uh, uh, he, that he was operating according to a humanistic viewpoint or a pessimistic reasoning or rationalistic logic. And he was making some compromised decisions, doing raids, taking people out. Craig Bryan Larson says, when we make decisions based in fear and unbelief, we make our situation only worse. And this is what was happening right here. He was making his situation worse. The people of God are to live by faith in what God has said, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is God's word for us in the wilderness. That's what Jesus quoted when he was in the wilderness 40 days. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We must be people who are dependent upon what God has said, not our own reasoning, not our own rational reasoning or humanistic viewpoint. Swindoll says, he goes on in his book about David's life, he says, it's important when we talk to ourselves that we tell ourselves the right thing. David didn't hear. So the very first cause for his dropping into the pits is that what, what I would call his humanistic viewpoint. He looked at his situation and he sized it up strictly from the horizontal. You won't find David praying even once in this chapter. In fact, David never looks up until much later. He wrote no Psalms. He asked for no help and he simply pushed the panic button. And so we see his humanity. This is our tendency as, as humans. Push the panic button. We see that, but we also see God graciously sustaining him and carrying him through his weakness and his struggles. And that brings us to our last scene here. Perhaps one of David's very lowest moments. He had been in the wilderness. He was getting weary of running, no doubt. He, he here is, we, we looked at him facing anger in the wilderness valleys. We looked at him facing fear and the anger and fear in the, 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 the wilderness valley. And here we look at him facing despair and despondency in the wilderness valley. Listen to what happens. Imagine the scene. Now David, now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites made a raid against Negib, Negib, Negib. And against Ziglag, Ziglag, they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. By the way, I forgot to mention, David ended up marrying Abigail. He decided she would probably make a great queen if he was going to be the king. And he took her as his second wife there. Michal had already been given to another person at this point after Saul had given Michal and David had another wife. The Bible doesn't comment a whole lot on that other than that's what he did. The Bible doesn't endorse polygamy. But nevertheless, Abigail was amongst, was amongst those women and children that were, were taken off captive, both small and great. And it says, they killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city... They found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons had been taken captive. And, and then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Can you imagine this scene here? I mean, it, it would be bad enough if it was just one child taken or one woman taken or one person harmed. But it was all of the wives, all of the children 
taken. And David and his 600 men were so distraught in despair, they wept to the point that they had no more strength to shed any tears. That's significant. They got to the lowest point. And then it gets even worse. David's two wives had been taken captive. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each one, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So here's a low moment. Despair, discouragement. His own men are ready to take his life. Not, not only Saul and his men and not, not only other enemies, all right? This was his own people turning on him, who he had led, who he, he had given a chance. He had become the commander. He had trained them. They believed in him. They believed he was going to be the next king. And then in that moment, they're ready to turn on him. Friendly fire. That's the human tendency. We gotta, somebody has to be the, 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 the escape lamb, the scapegoat. Somebody has to pay for this. Justice must be served. But notice this, this phrase here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Here we see a shift. We see David is looking to God for strength. David begins to inquire of God. He, be, he began to pray and ask, God, should, I, should we go after our, our wives and our family? Should we pursue? Are we gonna win? Is this worth it? Is this wise? Should we do it? And the Lord tells them to. At the same time, by the way, Saul is over seeking out help. He inquired of the Lord concerning his battles with Israel. God didn't respond when he wanted him to. And so Saul started seeking help from a median. He started turning to witchcraft for answers, taking matters into his own hands. And it serves no good for Saul. It only makes matters worse. Israel had been forbidden to do such practices. David doesn't turn to those practices here. He encourages himself. He strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. John Woodhouse said this about this moment. He says, um, this, this is what Jonathan had helped him do on an earlier occasion. Jonathan had strengthened David's hand in God by speaking God's promises to David. Here, David found strength again in the one who had promised that he, that, that he would be king of Israel. The strength David found was trust in God's promise. It was what we call faith. Simple faith. Trust in God's promise. He prayed. He trusted God. He looked to God. God gave him victory. And we know the story. We know, we know that it, it gets better for David. Now, there, there's more bloopers to come. There's more sins and failures and more low spots that he experiences. But God providentially brought him through this difficult time and strengthened him, sustained him, and brought about the fulfillment of his purposes for David's life. And we know David to this day as a man after God's own heart, though he had significant bloopers, significant sins and failures. Overall, those, those don't characterize his entire life in the scriptures. He was a man after God's own heart. He trusted God. He loved God. He served God. He served his own generation by doing the will of God. His, the law of God was written in his heart. He said, I, de, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. He repented sincerely when he failed, when he blew it. So let me close with a couple points of application, and then we're going to pray in response. We're going to pray some of the Psalms of David together with one voice. The team's going to lead us in a song. 
So here's a couple points of application. Resist the urge to make hasty decisions in anger by slowing down to pause, ponder, and pray. Okay? Don't let anger debilitate you, seize you, paralyze you, control you, where you become insane, as we read about earlier, in that state. You see, we're wired, we're wired to get angry when something's happening that's wrong. I mean, God himself, by the way, gets angry. The, the Bible speaks about that, and we've talked about this in the past. Nevertheless, the Bible says that, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, inside, when we get angry, it's an indicator that there is something wrong either out there around us or there's something wrong in here. It's like a check engine light. Check under the hood. Something's going on. And so we can leverage it to ask the question, God, why am I feeling like this? Why am I about to act contrary to what your word says? Help me, God. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I can't remember ever making a, a, a big decision in anger that I was happy about. Can you? So be angry and do not sin. Be aware of making big decisions motivated by your fears and doubts as well. We see David being led astray, making some poor decisions in 1 Samuel 27 because of a pessimistic perspective, rational, um, humanistic uh, viewpoint from a, a fearful perspective, a doubtful perspective. And lastly, remember and rely on God's promises in the dark and difficult days of your life. Cling to the promises of God. Camp out in the Psalms. Camp out in the Psalms and, 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 and utilize some of this verbiage, this prayer language that David has, that the Lord through David has provided for us to commune with God as we're going through these valleys. The, the psalmist is very real. The Psalms are very real and raw and we can express our true heart, what's going on in a raw way, authentic way to God even when there's complaint and frustration, discouragement, fear, and anger, we can trust God to act on our behalf. If you all would stand with me. I've selected a few psalms as the team comes up to lead us in a song. I want us to read and pray some of these psalms of David together. We're going to start with Psalm 61. And if we could, with one voice in unison... Read and pray these words together. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust him at all times. O oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Psalm 36. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock 
in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snare of the death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Last one, Psalm 116. I love you, Lord, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Let me just close by reminding you that when our Lord Jesus was at his lowest, darkest moment on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, carrying the weight, his soul exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death, he reached to the Psalms, Psalm 22. And he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prayed a psalm of David. The greater David, King Jesus, prayed from the psalms upon the cross. And he experienced this dark moment, the darkest moment in history for you and for me. So that we will never be forsaken. And so that we can be with God forever. He is our God and we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture.